Okay, we are in the sermon series, Live with the End in Mind. Live with the End in Mind. As we saw last weekend, the word end, it can refer to the end of all things, the end of human history as we know it. End can also refer to purpose. We're hardwired to live lives with meaning, with purpose. And so, as disciples of Jesus, we're asking the question, what does it mean to live with God-given purpose in light of eternity? Our passage last week, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, taught us that if we understand that we are in the last stage of redemptive history, then we're going to live with some mental discipline. We're going to be mentally disciplined for the sake of our prayers. We'll prayer, pray with an awareness of our times. We'll intentionally love one another. Love with a love that covers a multitude of sins. What's the point in harboring bitterness if the end is, is near? And we'll pass on whatever we have received to others. We'll, we'll speak words from God. We'll serve with the strength that God provides so that the kingdom of God may continue to be furthered, to grow, and God in everything will receive all the glory. That's what Peter taught us. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. We focused on gifts of serving, and as Linda mentioned, there's a great catalog in the lobby. Pick it up if you don't, haven't found your place to serve at Willingdon yet. There are scores of opportunities. Uh, pick it up, pray through it. Thank you to those that uh, signed up last week. We still need ushers and greeters and parking attendants. Many ways to serve Jesus at Willingdon through Willingdon. And of course, God wants to use us beyond the boundaries of the church as well. Our passage today, it focuses on three mindset changes. Three mindset changes that are necessary if we're going to live with the end in mind. It also talks about a number of gifts. And among those gifts are three word gifts that serve as catalysts to renew our minds. Our passage is Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Let's go there. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Before looking at this passage in a little more Detail, we need to consider the context. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. In Rome, both Jews and Gentiles have come to faith in Jesus. One of the questions that rests over the church is can they walk as one? Can they eat at the same table? Another key concern of Paul's is the condition of Roman society. It has lost its moral compass, it suppresses the truth. We saw an example of this uh, last weekend, and here I'm not taking political sides, just referencing 
An example, James Comey, the former FBI director, in an ABC interview uh, with George Stephanopoulos, I practiced that name all week long, (laughs) that's all the Greek I'm going to speak today, Stephanopoulos, he expressed concerns about truth in America. And so I'll quote him. We hold, sorry, um, he said, at the center of this country, what we have in common is a set of norms. And then he quotes from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Truth is the fourth word of that sentence. That's what we are. And if we lose that, if we lose the tethering of our leaders to that truth, what are we? And so I started to worry. Any society that loses the central value of the truth is in danger. That's true for America. That's true for Canada. What would God's word be to Canada today? Paul's answer for the Roman church and for the Roman society within which it lives is the gospel. Paul believes in the power of the gospel to transform lives. What's at the essence of the good news of Jesus? Well, we think of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. But, Romans 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God's word to us, Jesus died for us. Going back to Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified as a gift, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So on our own, we're sinners. We're guilty. We stand condemned. We're under shame. But while we were still sinners, the Father, out of love, sent Jesus. Christ died for us. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that for everyone? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. It's for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So if you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have never, just before the Lord, recognized your need of him, that you're a sinner, that you need salvation, that you need forgiveness of sin, that you need the gift of eternal life, then you can do that today. And let me just pray for you in a a moment here. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning and I believe there are, that need to open their hearts to you. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit you would help them understand the truth of your gospel, what you have done for them in Jesus. That this morning that they would become aware of your tremendous love for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we affirm the gospel. We agree with Paul. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. God, by his grace, has loved us in Jesus. So when we say the sermon title, Investing Words, first of all, we're talking about the timeless gospel. It has universal relevance. It is for all people. We're also talking about those God-inspired words 
that the Lord gives to console people, to encourage them, to challenge them, specific people, specific communities in a particular time and a particular place. Words that inspire people to keep on living, to live with the end in mind. I think of the pastor in uh, Humboldt, Saskatchewan, pastor to the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. As you know, the bus uh, crashed. There was a horrific accident on uh, April the 6th. 16 people died, hockey players, coach, bus driver, On the Sunday, two weeks ago, uh, April 8th, there was a a village in the the community. And the humble pastor, Sean Brando, he had the opportunity to speak to those uh, families of the injured, those killed in the bus crash. At the the vigil, uh, the humble pastor, he, he identified with the suffering. He tearfully proclaimed the gospel with tremendous clarity. He spoke to those in the audience, but because of the media, because of the attention, he was actually able to proclaim the gospel to Canada for 17 minutes. Multiple times, he said, we need to hear from God. We need Jesus. There's a word for Canada. I don't think Sean Brando ever thought that he would proclaim the gospel to the nation with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau sitting in the audience. I don't think that thought ever crossed his mind. This is the way he began. I quote him, I really wanted to wear a suit, but apparently that was 35 pounds ago, so my pants don't fit. So in honor of Mr. Trudeau, I wore my fancy socks but you can't see them because of my cowboy boots. That's a Saskatchewan thing. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11, the passage we studied last week, it commands us to speak the oracles of God, to speak forth the words of God. That's for all of us. All of us. We never know when God will give us an opportunity. We never know. Usually it's not a national stage. Usually it's a conversation across the table. It's a conversation with a colleague at work. We never know when the opportunity will present itself. The question is, are we ready? Do we have the words of God in our hearts? Is it on our lips? This year, um, elders and pastors decided to set a faith goal for Willingdon Church. How many could we, as a church, lead to faith in Jesus in the year 2018? So had I set the goal on my own, just sitting in my office and asking, oh, I wonder what it might be, I probably would have set the number at around 250. Thankfully, I didn't do it on my own. All of the ministries talked about this, and so student men, kids men, how many people could we lead to faith in Jesus in 2018? When we added up the numbers, we came up with 717. So our strategic faith goal at Willingdon Church for 2018 is to lead 700 people to faith in Jesus. Do you think that could happen? I have a yes here in the front row. Anyone else think that can happen? Amen, of course that can happen. 
If all of us are sharing our faith with others, 700 is actually pretty low. What will it take for the people in your relationship network to come to faith in Jesus this year? Can you imagine them coming to faith? Will we have to spend a bit more time on our knees praying for them? Will we need to take them for a meal? Will we have to open up some time in our schedules to have some conversation with them? What will it take? Maybe it takes some equipping. We'll have an equipping seminar on May 26th. Maybe you're not sure what the core elements of the gospel are. You're not sure how to tell your story. Well, come on May 26th. Mark that on your calendar. This week, one of my cousins, my first cousin, he's around 65 years old, always resistant to the gospel, just a hard heart. And on Tuesday, he surrendered his life to Jesus. His mother prayed for him for 65 years. Maybe you've been praying for someone for a long time. I pray that that story encourages you. We serve a God who does the miraculous. So let's believe him for miracles. If you're visiting us here today at Willingdon, know that we follow Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we pray that you'll meet him. This brings us to another key concern of Paul's in his letter to the Romans. In uh, chapters 1 through 11, Paul just masterfully outlines the salvation plan of God. For Paul, it has huge implications for life. You see, if you encounter the reality of God, it'll change the reality of your life. The gospel, it'll align you with God's purposes. It'll help you embrace his values. You will start to live with the end in mind. So let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It talks about the heart of the matter. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because of God's mercies, because of God's mercies, because of, of Christ's loving sacrifice for us, we are motivated to follow God in all of life. Out of gratitude, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We're all in because our minds are being renewed. We understand that God's will is truly good and acceptable, and not only good and acceptable, but perfect. Perfect. The best thing for you and for me is God's will. So we want to embrace it in every area of our lives. And in this context, Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The verb think, it appears four times. We must think clearly. The exercise of the spiritual gifts, it, it demands a renewed mind, a mindset change. We are to think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, Paul writes, according to the yardstick, according to the standard. So is this just an individual matter? Is Paul saying, hey, acknowledge how much faith you have, acknowledge how many spiritual gifts you have, and do a self-assessment and act accordingly. So if you have a, a low self-image, then maybe you will think, well, probably don't have any gifts, maybe one. I don't think I can do a whole lot. 
If you have a really good self-image, you'll probably have a superiority complex and think, I think I got all the gifts. I could probably do it all. Sometimes a person preaches and they receive some encouragement and then they think, wow, maybe I should preach to multitudes. Maybe I'm the next Billy Graham. Someone leads worship and people are blessed and the person thinks, wow, God moved. Maybe I should start a global worship ministry. Chris Tomlin, step aside. Here I come. Paul says, don't think too highly of yourselves. Don't go beyond yourself. Don't overestimate yourself. The original actually reads, according to the measure of the faith. So Paul is saying something that's common to all. We're to measure ourselves against the standard of the gospel, the Christian faith. Jesus is, of course, at the heart of the gospel. So living with the end in mind requires three mindset changes. And the first of these is measure yourself against the standard Jesus, not yourself. Against the standard Jesus, not yourself. He gave his whole life. He poured it all out. So how are we doing? You see, the mind of Christ at its core is not self-centered. It's not self-seeking. It is God-centered. It is other-oriented. When we have the humble mind of Christ, when we walk in the fear of God, we're aware of our spiritual gifting, But we're not arrogant. We walk in the joy of the exercise of our spiritual gifts, but they're employed not for us, but for the benefit of others. We don't measure ourselves by our gifts, what we do for God. We measure ourselves in light of the faith, in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus. So there are some fundamental truths that we learn from the gospel. One, what we said earlier, we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We've received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides within us. We've all been graced. If we're disciples of Jesus, we've been graced with spiritual gifts. The source of the gifting is God. It doesn't come from us. And those gifts are given for the benefit of others. We're not indispensable. Neither are we useless. We need to trust God to use us despite our shortcomings. Sometimes we put ourselves on the sidelines because of our past. Despite our shortcomings, God can use us. He wants to use us, each one of us. And so Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Again, Paul's calling us to a mindset change. He uses the human body as a metaphor. It's easy for us to understand. It doesn't encourage uniformity. It doesn't encourage sameness. No, with this body metaphor, he holds together the unity of the church, the plurality of the members, and the diversity, the the creativity of God, the diversity of spiritual gifts. has huge implications for a multi-ethnic church, like the church in Rome and the church at Willingdon. We're one body in intimate union, in Christ. Paul talks about the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Down to verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, All rejoice together. 
part of a body. I enjoy running. I pulled a muscle in my left leg earlier this week, or so I thought. I went to a specialist. And the specialist said, no, you actually didn't pull a muscle. That's why we need each other. I would give myself the wrong diagnosis. She says, no, it's a bursa. I have bursa? Oh, yeah, you have nine on your hip. You now have hip bursitis. It comes with aging, with wear and tear. Thank you for the good news. (laughs) I'll be okay. But we're interconnected. We're members of an organism. And so when something small like a fluid sac is inflamed, our whole body suffers. It's hard to get up. It's hard to walk. It hurts when you sleep. So when a member of the body of Christ is suffering, we are to pay attention. It affects all of us. We're an organism. The health of the body is what's important, not you and your ministry. Together, we're the revelation of Jesus in the world. It requires a mindset change because we're so individualistic in our society. Living with the end in mind means the gospel is more about the body than about you and your self-fulfillment. Or about me and my self-fulfillment. It's about the body, the church. It requires a mindset change. We're members of one another. We're part of something bigger. The body of Christ. Kingdom of God. So on one level, I cannot fully renew my mind without the help of other disciples. I need other disciples to help me understand the scriptures. I can't understand what it means to be a disciple without the encouragement, the prayers, the example of other disciples. I need other disciples to help me see my blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. I can't see them. I need you to tell me. I need help and so do you. More directly taught in this text, however, is the following. Church is not just about what I need to grow and be fulfilled. I must participate in the life of the body so that the whole body can be healthy. I must measure myself against the standard of the faith, Jesus, and then ask, how can I best contribute to what Jesus is doing in and through the church? How do I join him? Because it's more about his church and his kingdom than about me and my vision or my fulfillment. Paul goes on with this perspective in mind. Verse 6 having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Again, in verse 3, he says that he's speaking to everyone. The gifts are given by the grace of God. In the original, those words, gifts and grace, they're, they're connected. They come from the same root. The gifts are enactments of the grace of God. So if you're thinking with a renewed mind, if you're thinking clearly, you know you don't have all the gifts, but, and here's the good news, as a follower of Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God does abide in you by the Spirit. You do have a unique function in the church and in the world. You have received spiritual gifts. You are a steward of God's grace, as Peter writes, what we saw last weekend. The only one who can manage what God has deposited in your life is you. No one else can make the decision for you to actually step out in faith, to take a risk and say, okay, God, how would you use me? 
How have you gifted me? I'm going to open myself to the discernment of the body so that I can discern, Lord, with the help of others, how you have wired me for your service. The only one who can make the decision to do that is you. So a third mindset change in order to live with the end in mind is serve according to your God-given wiring because you don't have it all. Serve according to your God-given wiring. Only Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church, can minister to the whole body by the Holy Spirit through the members of the body. And then Paul gives some gifts, some examples of spiritual gifts. The list is not exhaustive, it's representative. Uh, the second part of verse 6, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. First Peter 4 referred to both speaking and serving gifts, and we see the same distinction in these verses, the same two categories, the speaking gifts are prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. The serving gifts are serving, contributing, leading, and showing mercy. So we talked about the serving gifts last week, and let's talk about three speaking gifts today. We talked about three mindset changes that are necessary in order to, to serve God. There are three word gifts that are catalysts in the process of renewing our minds and following God with faith. Three word gifts that enable mindset change. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. To exhort, literally, it means to someone coming alongside another as a helping companion. John, when he refers to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, he uses the word paraclete, which means to come alongside, the one who comes alongside. Exhortation is coming alongside to encourage, to challenge, and to comfort. Those with this gifting, they see the journey of faith. What they love to do is encourage people to take the next step. Sometimes people lose heart. Think of Barnabas, the example of Barnabas coming alongside John Mark and encouraging him. A concrete expression of this ministry is alongside at Willingdon, a ministry to people that are facing terminal illness. They encourage they teach, they pray, they make meals. Sometimes when you are in a crisis, when you're in the valley, you're not sure what to think. You need people to come alongside you to remind you of the truth of Scripture. Sometimes when you're in a crisis, you don't even know what to pray. You need people that will come alongside you and pray with you, pray for you. A woman from our church was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer a number of months ago, and while she was waiting for surgery, members of the family received text messages from other members of this church, texts with scripture verses, and the woman's daughter commented, I quote her, you can't believe how important those words are when you're in the valley. And if you've been in the valley, you know what she's talking about. You'll hear their story in the coming months. It's a wonderful story of God's grace. Then there's the gift of teaching. The one who teaches in his teaching. We're to teach the oracles of God. That's God's word. All are to share the word of God with one another. We don't need a platform to exercise this gift. There are many opportunities to exercise this gift at Willingdon. Willingdon School of the Bible. 
kids' ministries, student ministries, international language ministry fellowships, small groups, discovery groups, men's ministries, women's ministries, ESL, discipleship ministries, and I know that I've missed a few. Do you love to help people understand God's Word? Is that a a burden or a desire, a passion that you have? Do you want God's people to, to stand in the truth? Do you have a concern that the whole counsel of God be taught to the church? If you have that kind of burden, then you probably have the gift of teaching. Test it. Teaching. Establishing God's people in the whole counsel of God. Establishing God's people in the whole counsel of God. And then a third gift. A gift that makes some people nervous, that raises some eyebrows, but it needs to be understood biblically. In honor of God's word, let's not remove from the list of gifts what God includes. Prophecy. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. The fact that prophecy heads the list shouldn't surprise us. Prophecy is the only gift that's mentioned in all four lists of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Paul esteemed this gift very highly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. To prophesy very simply is to speak forth the words of God. It appears that there are two levels of prophetic gifting. First, there's the prophetic gifting that carries the weight of, of Scripture. It has unif- universal authority for the church for all time, everywhere. Examples would be the, the Old Testament prophets. Another example would be the New Testament prophets that laid the foundation for the church together with the apostles, Ephesians chapter 2. This is the timeless word of God recorded in Scripture. And then there is a lesser prophetic gifting that doesn't carry the authority of a biblical prophet. Paul talks about these words being weighed and tested. They can come through preaching, through teaching, through conversation, through text messages, in many different ways. What are the tests for these prophetic words? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be, all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So the first test of prophetic words. Can the word, is there permission for the word to be tested, to be discerned? to be weighed in community. If someone is coming to you with the word and saying, you must accept this, and it's like you have to accept it without thinking, it is not a word from God. Does the word bring encouragement? Does it bring a sense of peace, the peace of the Holy Spirit? Or does the word bring confusion, fear? Does it generate anxiety, even A word of correction, a word of warning from the Holy Spirit will bring a sense of peace because with the word comes the assurance that God is present to help us overcome. 
Is, is the word that we're receiving aligned with the written revelation of God? Paul writes, prophesy in proportion to our faith. The original reads, in proportion to the faith. So in other words, every prophetic word must be measured by the standard, but the standard is the gospel of Jesus Christ. True words from God will never contradict the scriptures. This lesser prophetic word is not timeless, but it's timely. It's the application of God's word to a particular person or a particular community at a particular time in a God-given moment. It offers insight into God's will in a particular moment. So prophecy, speaking forth God's word in God-given moments. Speaking forth God's word in God-given moments. Going back to the vigil, uh, the Humboldt Broncos pastor, Sean Brando, he said this, and I'll quote him. For about 15 hours after the accident, all that I heard in my head was, even though I walked through the valley of darkness, that's all I heard. That's it. That's it. And all I saw was darkness. All I saw was hurt and anguish and fear and confusion. And I had nothing. Nothing. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have something. He goes on. I had heard. I had understood the support of people, and I needed that, and you need that. You family members, you need that. You need to hear that people love you, that people care, that people are praying, that you're supported, that you are loved. You'll be looked after in the future. Those are important things. But when it was so dark, I needed to hear from God. And only four times, and that's all it took, four words from God were bigger than a thousand words from any human being. Someone reminded me that there's more to that psalm than we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You need to finish the statement, someone told me. I will fear no evil because you are with me. And then he said, oh, we need Jesus. We need to hear from God. That's a word for Canada. It's a word for us. Pastor Sean reached out to people as he grieved with the families. He confesses that he had nothing to say, but he received four text messages with words of Scripture that gave him a foundation for the message that he preached at the vigil. God gave him a word for the people in the hockey arena, and God used it across this nation. And I've heard reports of people from other nations hearing about the gospel clearly proclaimed in Humboldt Saskatchewan. We never know when God's going to give us an opportunity. Pastor Sean Brando had 17 minutes. You know, we can all send a text message, right? We can all say when someone's suffering, hey, I'm praying for you. We also can pray, God, (laughs) my brother, my sister, they're suffering. What would you have me say? Is there a scripture that I can send? What would be of encouragement? We can send the word of God to others. The word of God, it's living and active. We have the responsibility as followers of Jesus and the joy of speaking forth the word of God. Near the end of his message, Pastor Sean said this, and quote him, each breath that you have left, what are you going to do with it? Will you seek the God who has walked and who has died to show his love and his concern and his care for you? Or will you get bitter and angry and frustrated? How are we going to live? 
The Lord calls us to live with the end in mind. Oh, may we live with the end in mind. May we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. May we respond to the call of the word of God. May we be wholly devoted to him in our speaking, in our serving. Whether we be here at Willingdon or somewhere in Metro Vancouver, may we be faithful in our speaking. If we do not share the word of God with Canada, who will? If you don't share the gospel with your friend or your relative, who will? God has deposited his word in your heart, and it's your responsibility to share what God has given you by his grace. Amen? So may we be found faithful in 2018. May we be found faithful in our serving, in our speaking for his glory, for the furtherance of his kingdom. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Lord, again, I I pray for those who might be here visiting. Oh, God, may they hear your call. Jesus, may they hear your invitation to know you, to walk with you, to receive life. Lord, may we all live with the end in mind. We depend on you to, to think clearly. Thank you, Lord, for gifting us with your mind. Thank you that your Holy Spirit abides in us. Thank you that you want us to know your heart, to know that your will is truly what is best. Lord, may you be our standard. May we be more concerned about your body, the church, than about ourselves and our self-fulfillment. Forgive us, Lord, for our self-centeredness. Lord, may we serve according to your design. May we we serve you joyfully according to the gifts that you have given us. May we take risks for your kingdom. Lord, I pray your rich blessing on my brothers and sisters, your blessing on all that serve. Thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. And even now, I pray for the stirring of your Holy Spirit among us. May we come alongside one another. You have gifted people here with the gift of exhortation. May we encourage, may we challenge, may we comfort. You have gifted people here with the gift of teaching. May we teach your word faithfully. May we be established in your whole counsel. And Lord, may we speak forth your word prophetically, your timeless gospel. And those timely words that build up encourage and console. Lord, use us for the furtherance of your kingdom, for your glory and yours alone, because to you belong the glory and the power and the dominion and the praise forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.